The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Look at this verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do what? Give thanks. When? In all circumstances. How many of you are like, that's just too much to ask? It's too much to ask. I mean, there are some circumstances, yeah, I'm thankful. There are other circumstances where a feeling of thankfulness or gratitude is the last thing on my mind. Give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, The problem is especially that word, all. Some of them are are devastating. Some circumstances are are horrid. We mourn them. We grieve them. We're really supposed to be thankful. That just feels like a a burden I can't carry, and it feels like a request I don't know how to answer. Thanksgiving is a feeling. It's an experience, right? You can't just push a button and all of a sudden be thankful. And yet the Christian life, and this is just one verse, the Christian life is supposed to be dominated by this experience of being grateful or thankful. And it's not just for varsity Christians or anything else. It's not for Christians who are having the good times. It's for all of us, all the time. So what do we do? You know, it's very interesting as I was thinking about this, a couple articles, like just Common culture magazines like Forbes or Newsweek had some thoughts about gratitude or thanksgiving in them. Listen to this. Um, A psychologist from the University of Birmingham wrote that the list of potential benefits of gratitude is almost endless. So he says, if you're grateful, studies show you'll have fewer intellectual biases, more effective learning strategies, more helpfulness towards other Others, raise self-confidence, better work attitude, strengthen resiliency, how about this one, less physical pain, improved health, and longevity. So if you're thankful, you'll actually live longer than if you aren't. That's amazing. A 2006 study on Vietnam War veterans showed that the veterans with higher levels of gratitude were more resilient and less impacted by post-traumatic stress disorder. That's humongous. The way to get better is to be thankful. Or um, Robert Emmons, PhD, a leading gratitude researcher. There are these, evidently. Um, he's, conducted, he's conducted multiple studies on the link, be- the link between gratitude and well-being. And his research confirms that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. So that's... Who wants to be happy? (laughs) Who's tired of being depressed? Um, Be thankful. So that changes my mindset a little. Instead of just hearing it as like a, be thankful. Uh, It seems actually human beings are made to be thankful. In other words, you can't thrive like you're supposed to unless you're thankful. So maybe the Bible's onto something. Maybe the Bible is onto something when it says you should be thankful in all circumstances. It's what you're made for. You'll have a better life if you do. 
Next question that comes into my mind is, okay, well, what does it mean to be grateful or thankful? Those are synonymous, right? What, what is this experience? Um, and I think there's some counterfeit gratitudes out there. What's a counterfeit? Counterfeit is something that looks like the real thing, but it's not. Um, one counterfeit gratitude I've seen in myself, and I think I've seen in others, is like a prideful gratitude. You know, some, some celebrity or sports star gets interviewed, I'm, I'm just really thankful. I'd like to thank myself for how hard I worked. I'm really thankful for how awesome I am. Do you ever get that feeling? I'm, I feel thankful that I'm so great. Maybe you've had that, maybe you haven't, maybe it's just a me problem. I know I'm not that great, but I'm prideful, and so I have that feeling sometimes. But I don't think that's the real thing, do you? A prideful gratitude really isn't. In fact, I think the sweet kind of gratitude, the real thing, the pure gratitude, will actually probably humble you more than anything else will. So prideful gratitude is counterfeit. Another one, another counterfeit is when it's thankful for instead of thankful to. Thankful for instead of thankful to. So imagine you invite someone over for Thanksgiving, and man, you pull out all the stops. You're just doing, you're serving them course after course of deliciousness. You know, what's your favorite Thanksgiving thing? I think stuffing's the best with uh, gravy on it. I have some followers here, right? In fact, you can leave out the potatoes if you have good stuffing with gravy on it. But anyway, you're serving them course after course of deliciousness, and they're eating it. And you're kind of wondering when they might say, but they don't. And then maybe later in the conversation after you served them this amazing meal, it comes around like, hey, what are you thankful for? And what if they started going, I'm just thankful for food. We have so much food. Think about all the people in the world that don't have food. And you're kind of like, yeah, okay. But then there's lurking this echo. Here's this person, you've been serving the food, and they say, hey, I'm thankful for food. And you're kind of waiting for it, maybe they're going to say, I'm just so thankful for food. And? What'd your mom teach you to say? Thank? Thank. No, it's thank you. Thank you. It's about the rudest, weirdest thing in the world to be thankful for a gift without acknowledging the giver of the gift. But that's what Americana Thanksgiving is all about. We're thankful for. And we have a long list. But aren't we cutting it kind of short? Unless we're thankful to. Thank you for dinner. Thank you for the gift. So it's a counterfeit gratitude if it doesn't take us, if it doesn't become personal. Thank you. And you know this, have you ever had somebody who just met your need in an amazing way? They were there for you in an amazing way. They gave you something that you needed and it was, it was precious, it was special, it was important and, and you just thought, oh my goodness. And you were thankful for what they'd done but more than that, you were thankful to them. And that's why I wanna look with you at Psalm 116 this morning. Um, I'm realizing it's hard, right? Can you agree with me on this? It's hard to live a life of consistent gratitude. It's hard, a lot of times it's because our circumstances are hard. It's hard to live a life of, of consistent gratitude, even though, even as just everyday culture is showing us, this is actually the healthiest, best way to live. You're actually made to live constantly thankful. That's where you thrive, but it's hard. 
So where are we going to find a source that's long-lasting that can actually, instead of just being like a law, hey, be thankful, I don't know how, that actually will stir in you gratitude. I'm thankful. I feel it. Believe it. So in this text, we're going to see a source, a source for a life of deep gratitude. I think it's a gratitude that can, that can last like that Th- Thessalonians passage said. It's a, it's a gratitude that can burn in any circumstance. So we're going to see that source, and then we're also going to see what a response to that source looks like. So gratitude and its response. And uh, we're going to do this in four parts, so I'm trying to be relevant here. How many of you have ever watched Netflix before? The rest of you are like, really? Like, you haven't caught up yet? How many of the rest of you don't use inter- Netflix? Have you heard of this thing called the internet? Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. Okay, when you're watching Netflix, you've got, you've got a show, and that show will have seasons if it's any good, right? And what will the season be uh, made up of? Episodes, okay? So we're going to do this psalm like a little mini Netflix, okay? Two seasons, and each season has two episodes. That's the way I want to try to understand it with you. Two seasons, each season has two episodes. So the show, Psalm 116, season one, understanding the author. What is this author talking about? What is he saying? What is he feeling? And so episode one of season one will be what he sees about God, what he's learned about God, what he's experienced about God. Episode two of season one, season one again is the author who wrote this. Episode two is the response that causes in him. It's what he sees about God and its response. But then you can understand probably why we need season two. Because what if I just said, hey, once a dude was really thankful. That's all I got for you. You'd be like, so what? Well, of course, season two is what should we see about God? What should you see about God? What have you experienced about God? Because a psalm is like, a, a psalm is, um, is drawing you in. That's what these are for. You're not just to be like, oh, some, some person prayed this once. That's historically interesting, I guess. This is supposed to be like, this is supposed to draw you in so that you'll pray like this, so that you'll know God like this. So season two is, what, what, how do you experience and see God from this psalm? And then season, or episode four then, of course, is, and, and what kind of response should it bring in your life? So, what the old guy said, what he learned about God, the response in his life, today, your life, what we see about God, what it should bring about in our lives, okay? Let's do it. Season one, episode one, what the psalmist has experienced about God. Let's actually start in verse three, and I, I'm really hoping you'll follow along with me in the book, because I want to refer to the language here in this text. So, so get your heads in here. Look at verse three, page 510. What was the psalmist's experience, experience that, uh, from which this psalm was birthed, I guess? Look at verse three. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. So it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. How is the psalmist feeling? Overwhelmed. Uh, it's poetic, but the, the Hebrew is thinking of death like a hunter, out stalking you. Death is out to get you, and the net almost, almost wrapped itself around you. 
um, it laid hold on you. It had its hands on your ankle, and it was pulling you in, and it brought about distress and anguish. And we know the psalmist's emotional state, even verse 8, he says, I was in tears. I was stumbling. Uh, can any of you relate to a circumstance like that? It's got you. It's, it's grabbed you, and you don't think you can get out. You don't think you can make it. You're in anguish. It's got you emotionally. It's got you mentally. You're, you're reeling, the, uh, stumbling, this idea of you, you can't even walk straight. It's, it's owning you. That's how he's feeling. We're not sure exactly what his experience is, but many commentators think he probably had a horrible sickness that... Um, that threatened to take his life. So what did he do with this? Verse four, what did the psalmist do in the midst of his anguish and distress? Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So what did he do? Called on the name of the Lord, he prayed. But even a little more than prayer, if you talk to just your average American on the street, your friend, hey, do you pray? Most of them will say, yes. The kicker is when it comes down to, and who are you praying to? You got any friends who are excited about karma? Oh, that's karma for you. And I want to be like, who, who is this karma person? And the funny thing about karma is there is no who. It's like the universe is a trampoline or something. You throw a bad rock and the Bad rock bounces back at you. Throw a good rock, the, uh, you get a present. Um, why would we believe that the universe is an impersonal trampoline? Have you ever seen really bad people have really good things happen to them? Would the trampoline not work that day? Um, or, or what about really good people who have awful things happen to them constantly? And enough of this when you pray, who do you pray to? My point here is he says, I will call upon the name of the Lord. To him, that's not just vague God, impersonal whoever, I'm not sure. No, this is Yahweh. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of Israel. It's the God who saved him out of Egypt. It's the God who created the earth. It's the God who's revealed himself through his prophets. It's a God you can read about in the Torah. This is, it's that God. You, oh God, you, Lord, deliver my soul. I pray, I'm lost, I'm, the death's got me. And what did God do for this guy? Look at Psalm 116, verses one to two. These, these, uh, these words are so, they're passionate really. What does he say in verse one? I love the Lord. I love him. How many of you actually proclaim your love for someone in public very often? I think it's a, it's a, rare, it's a rare experience. Sometimes you'll be like, I, I mean, we, we know. We, we know we love people. But to just in public be like, I love my kid. I love my wife. I love, this guy in public, I love the Lord. I love this God and why is he feeling such love for God? Verse one, because he heard my voice 
In fact, verse two, because he inclined his ear to me. So the Hebrew language there is like, if you're so weak and you can hardly speak and we can't even hear what you're saying, to incline your ears is to get down real low, like right on your level and be like, what? I'm listening. Like, he said, God came down like that near to me, stuck his, his ear next to my mouth so he could hear what I was saying. God, who created the heavens and the earth, came so close to listen to me. And he delivered me. Verse six, I was brought low. What did God do for the psalmist? He saved me. He saved me. So the psalmist was, he was lost. He was in trouble. He couldn't do anything about it. He was helpless. He was hopeless. He cried out to the God of the Bible. And he's amazed. He's so happy. He's, in, he's grateful because the, the holy, awesome God of the Bible listened to his little cry for help and came low and saved him. Look what he says about God. Verse five. What is the Lord like? What's the first word? Verse five. Gracious, what does that mean? He shows generous love to the undeserving. He just shows goodness to the undeserving. What else does he say about him? Gracious is the Lord and what? Righteous, everything he does is right and good. He has integrity, he keeps his promises, he loves what's good, he hates what's evil. There's another one too in verse five. Our God is what? Merciful. Merciful is when there's somebody who's helpless and they have need and they can't fend for themselves, but you can, and so you feel compassion for them and then you act on their behalf. And so he's saying, this God has heard my voice and he's delivered me because that's who he is. That's what he's like. It's in his nature to be gracious, righteous, merciful, Verse six, here's what this God does. The Lord preserves the simple. Now, simple in this context isn't usually a compliment. Simple-minded, simple. Kind of like that poor kid's never gonna make it on their own. They're too simple. But the author is saying, I'm the simple one. When it came to these circumstances I was facing, there was no genius or power or resource that I had that was gonna get me out of this. All I had was what I did. God, help me. That's all I had. And guess what a gracious God does for the simple who call upon him? He listens and he comes and he saves. God saves the simple. In fact, that word preserves has the idea of, I guess if you were an ancient Near Eastern shepherd and you wanted to protect your sheep, or uh, my in-laws actually see this, they're missionaries in, in Sudan, and so what you do is uh, the community would take, you know, there's these bushes with nasty thorns on them, I guess, out there, and so you'd take these huge thickets and you'd, just, you'd wrap them around like a wall around your compound, you'd keep stuffing them on there so that nothing could get through that wall of thicket to get you. And in this word preserves, that's what God is doing for the psalmist. He, God has come to the simple, helpless one and has been the thicket, the wall around him to save him, to preserve him. 
So this is, this is the psalmist's experience. He was hopeless, he was helpless, he called upon the Lord. God is gracious, he's merciful, and God listened and came and delivered him. And so look, how, look at how he feels in verse seven. Return, O my soul, to what? You rest. You know how these circumstances can totally wreck your rest? You can't sleep, you got no peace, the problems are always stirring through your mind, you're anxious, you're uptight, you're, you're bitter. You're, you're st- Return to your rest, breathe. Why? The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. How's he feel towards this God? I'm thankful. So thankful, I love the Lord. I was lost, he's gracious, I called out to him, I had nothing else but him. And he listened and he came and he saved me. He saved me. So scene one, episode one, the psalmist has seen and experienced that the God of Israel delivers the helpless who call on him because that's the kind of God he is. The God of Israel delivers the helpless who call on him because that's the kind of God he is. Isn't that what he's saying? How does he respond? Well, look at verse two. Now we're looking at the psalmist's response, episode two. How how does the psalmist respond to God's salvation? Because he's inclined to me, therefore, I will what? I will call on him as long as I live. And I think the word you need to emphasize there is him. I've gone to him, he saved me. Guess where I'm going next time? Him, and guess where I'm going for the next thing? Him, and guess where I'm going today and tomorrow? Him, and 10 years from now, him. And for this reason and that reason, him. Him, that's where I go, he's my God. That's why I wanna use the word devotion. Grateful devotion, or what can we do with Psalm, you know, verse one, I love the Lord. He's the one I want, he's the one I trust. Don't you love this question down in verse 12? So God has saved him. And he asked this question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? How do I pay him back? What can I give him? How would you answer that? What do you get the guy who has everything? How do I pay him back? Look what he does. I will lift up the cup of salvation. Now what's even, this, this still has remnants in our culture today. What are you doing when you lift up a cup publicly? You're giving a toast. You're giving a toast. Now what is a toast? In a way, it's nothing. You don't put a, a toast into a box. Um, but in another way, have you ever been to a really meaningful toast? A toast is everything. Because you're expressing something from the heart. And so he's lifting up this cup of celebration. He's lifting up this cup of commitment, a a cup of of joy. There's a party aspect. There's a sacrificial aspect. I will lift up the cup of salvation in verse 13. This is amazing. And do what? Call upon the name of the Lord. Walk with me. He was in trouble, and what did he do? He called on the name of the Lord, and God saved him. So what's he gonna do now because God was so good in saving him after he called on the name of the Lord? He's going to keep calling on the name of the Lord. When God shows you grace, how do you pay him back? 
The Bible says you, you don't try to do a bunch of good things or prove to him or anything. You keep going back to him when you need more grace. That's how you pay him back. How do you pay back the one who gives all the time, the merciful, gracious God? What does he want from you? Does he want from you? Is he looking for you to be, I know you were helpless here. You called, cried out for help. I helped you. And now, could you learn to do some things on your own, please? Is God the frustrated parent? Like, I'm not gonna tie your shoe anymore. You've gotta learn to do this yourself. You're on your own now, Johnny. Is that what this is? There may be a place for that in parenting one day, right? But that's, it's not a good image for the Christian life. Because what you do here when God delivers you, the way he wants you to respond is not to be independent on your own. Oh God, I finally graduated, I don't need you anymore. That will never happen. The way you pay back a gracious God is you keep calling on him. You keep going back for more. And doesn't that glorify him in the end? Doesn't it glorify him to say, hey, I still need you? And he goes, I know, and I'm still here for you. And he delivers you and he delivers you and he delivers you and you praise him and you praise him and you praise him. I will lift up the cup of salvation. I'll call on the name of the Lord. The psalmist responds to God's salvation with a life of grateful devotion. That's what it is, grateful devotion. Look at verse 14. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And you could think, have you ever made a vow to the Lord? You wanna hear a real stupid one I did once? I was, uh, I was in high school. This is gonna break a lot of your image of me, but I'm, I need to be honest. I was in high school and me and my friends were vandalizing. And, um, and I was doing it while chewing tobacco because that's cool, okay? It's not cool if any, any of you kids don't, you know. It's actually disgusting. Um, but anyway, this other group of kids were out vandalizing too. And um, there's a little confrontation and they came out after us and they were bigger and had a car. We were on like bikes. So I, I'm riding on my friend's handlebars and this, you know, this group's after us. I'm freaking out. So I run, and I dive behind this big tree. It's the middle of the night, and I start praying, because I still know where I'm from, even though I kind of left it behind a little bit. I'm like, God, you got to, dear God, you got to, <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> God, will you help me? And all the alarms go off. I'm like, why should I help you? <laughs> well, if you help me, I promise I'll, did you make a vow? I promise I'll mm, clean my act up. I'll make my vows to the Lord. What was his vow? It's up in verse nine. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Biblical language, when you walk with God or you walk before God, it's like a whole, it's a whole lifestyle of devotion to God. What can I say? It's grateful devotion. You've saved me, God. I just want to be yours. I want to plead, I want to come to you for everything. I want you to deliver me from everything. I just want to be yours. That's the vow. So look, I guess 17 to 19 kind of sums it up. The author says, I will offer to you, God, the sacrifice of, of what? Thanksgiving. I'm thankful. 
not just for what you've done, I'm thankful to you for who you are. You're gracious, you're merciful. I'll offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'll call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord. What's he saying? Does he seem shy about this to you? Does somebody have to be like, hey, I heard you got better. What's going on? He's like, well, I prayed. I, I believe in God. That's the way some of us act sometimes, right? Secret agent, Christian. Um, what's the atmosphere of this passage? Hey, everybody, listen. Everybody, listen. I love this God. Does he sound ashamed of you or embarrassed or timid? I love him. I was lost, I had nothing, simple, gone, hopeless. I cried out to him, he listened to me. And he came close and he preserved me and he saved me and I just wanna live for him. And guess what, when he, when he ends with praise the Lord, what is that? You all need to join me in this. And think of what that assumes. That assumes that the God who saved him will also save you. The God who's gracious and merciful to him He's that for anybody who calls on him. Let's jo join me. Join me, saying. Let's be devoted to God, gratefully devoted because of his kindness, because of his mercy. So scene one, the psalmist has seen and experienced that God delivers the helpless who call on him because that's who he is. That's his character. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's righteous. And secondly, he's so moved. How does he want to respond? A life of grateful devotion, thankful devotion. I'm devoted to you, God. I'm so thankful. All right, what do you see in God? What have you experienced from God? Let's relate to this passage. Um, can you relate to that feeling, the cords of death grabbing you or someone you love? You ever had a crisis that feels like it's gonna choke you out? Tears, stumbling, anguish, great affliction. Some of us in this room are there right now right now. What does the psalm invite you to do? Call in the name of the Lord. It's weird to hear, overhear somebody else's prayer. Isn't it weird? Um, there's somebody else's prayer and you're like, you have like a, a choice in that moment. Do you just sit back over here and kind of watch them pray? Or do you, what's the other choice? Do you, do you fall into it? Do you, do you go in with it? And the psalm's like, are you, God is asking us all in the psalm, are you gonna call on me? Are you gonna call on me? Are you gonna quit talking about me, wondering about me? Are you gonna talk to me? Are you gonna call on me? How many of you have had times in your life, maybe you can relate on a positive way with this guy, you had times with your life where you know you should have died or you could have died and you didn't and God saved you. I was in a dumb wreck this summer. I had uh, a 2001 Mercedes that I really liked. Everybody thought I had a side business going on with my Mercedes, but I was like, listen, it's a 2001, okay? I love that car, and I was, turning a, I was taking a left, and I didn't see the person on this kind of, you know, there's two lanes, but before the turn, there's like two and a half lanes, and these two lanes were stopped, and they had left room for me, so I was pulling in, and then the third lane, this. This girl's going like 50 miles an hour. Bam! Just, I didn't even see it. I did not see it. And like a total idiot, I was not wearing my seatbelt. 
I was not wearing my seatbelt. I got slammed. My car went from here on the lane to backwards up on the hill, over the curb up on a hill. I didn't see it. I, I, I don't even remember. I remember just turning, and then I remember being on the hill. And I walked out like nothing ever happened to me. And I'm just quivering with like, I could be dead. Like maybe I should be dead. I didn't have a seatbelt on. I'm an idiot. Thanks for letting me live. <laughs> Don't you have stories like that? If you, if you think in your past, I think I, we all probably have something where you're like, I got out by the skin of my teeth. How many of us, God has saved us from stuff like that? Um, stupid decisions, cancers, blah, blah, blah. And it, he, you saved me. You know, we should all be in that positive circumstantial thing with this psalmist going, thank you for delivering me. Thank you. So we can relate to this God who saves us circumstantially. But you know what? Another question that came into my mind that, that we just assume on this, but I think it's worth asking, what even gives us the right to read this psalm for anything other than like a historical lesson? I mean, is this, did you write this prayer? Who wrote this? Some, some Jewish religious guy from like 2,700 years ago wrote this prayer. And, uh, you know, maybe the Lord, Yahweh, that's his God, right? God made a covenant with Abraham and his family, and they became Israel. And so he's, he's in a covenant with Yahweh. God says, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. But I don't know about you, but I am not Jewish. Maybe some of you are. Really glad you're here if you are. But I, don't, I think most of us aren't. Why would we get to say, hey, this God who saved him will listen to me? Why does the psalm get to belong to you? Well, it's obviously the psalm, right? It's one of a bunch of psalms. And a bunch of psalms also are about the king who's gonna come and save everybody, which reminds you just the greater storyline of the Bible. Why is there such a thing like affliction, death? Well, humanity sinned against this God who made everything. We've rebelled against him, right? We've replaced him. We don't want him. We turn away from him. That's why there's death. And we deserve more. We, we deserve his judgment for our rebellion. None of us have kept even our own moral standard, much less his. We, we're, we're guilty. I know I am. And why should God listen to my prayer when a lot of my life has been rebellion against him? Of course, uh, it's one psalm of many psalms. That fit, how does the psalm fit in the storyline? The Old Testament's full of promises. We need a king who's gonna come and save us. And he's gonna come, and then you get to the gospels, and what do you see? The king has come to save us. How many times did the gospel write, writers say about Jesus, and the scripture was fulfilled as they look at his life? It's like a lot, okay? A lot. And, and the gospel writers are screaming at you, this, this is, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king who fulfills all of God's promises to save, save the world from its sin and death. He's the one who's gonna redeem it all. He's the one who can save you. He's the one who can heal you. You know, it was interesting back in verse six of this psalm. It said, the Lord preserves the simple. 
Did you see that? Remember? The Lord preserves the simple, and the simple are those who are helpless. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 5.32. This is Jesus, the Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah, the one who's going to redeem us, who's going to renew us, who's going to save us. What did Jesus say, Luke 5.32? I have not come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. I love this line so much. Jesus is saying, if you think you are good without me and you don't need me, you have no idea how far from me you really are. If you think you're good on your own, if you think you can make it on your own, if you think you can earn a place before me on your own by your good works, if you think your ethnicity makes you right with me, or if you think what you've done or how much money you have, or, or if you're relying on anything like that to make you righteous, you're so far from me, it's like I didn't even come for you. I mean, the irony is there's nobody who's righteous without him. I haven't come to call the righteous, he says, but who? Sinners. The Lord preserves the simple. Sinners, if you're like, if you stand before holy God and you know you've messed it up and you've broken it and you have no claim on him, and you say, I've got nothing and all you can do is call on him, save me, Jesus says, you're the one I came for. The Lord preserves the simple. How many times in this psalm did it say, I called on the name of the Lord? Look at what the apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Romans 10, do you know who the Lord is? It's Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the Son of God who came for us. And remember, the, the psalmist said that God is gracious, righteous, and merciful. Do you remember that? Uh, what's this symbol over here for? What is that? You remember? The cross. And what do, what do crosses do? They torture and kill. And what did Jesus, the promised king, go to for you? The cross. And where's a better picture of God being gracious than the cross? I deserve his wrath. And what did Jesus do? Took my place so that the rebel like me could be loved. He could show love to the undeserving, infinite love. Right, what about his righteousness? You see righteousness at the cross? Why does Jesus have to die on a cross? It's because God never sweeps a sin under the rug, ever. He never just overlooks it, ever. It gets paid for somewhere. There's, a, there's a, this cosmic line in the universe on where that happens. It either happens on Jesus for you or it happens on you. And for Jesus to be that substitute, God could be righteous in saving somebody like me. Because justice has been done. My sins actually have been paid for. I just didn't have to pay for them. But God did this because he's righteous. He's the righteous judge. At the cross, we see God's grace. We see his righteousness. Do you see God's mercy at the cross? What could you do to save yourself before a holy God? Nothing. What could you do to earn standing before him as his child? Nothing. What did he do for you? Everything to earn your adoption. Gracious, righteous, merciful. 
So here's, here's the honest reason why you and I can read this psalm and call it ours. Because Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, fulfills this psalm. And if you call on him, you belong to him. He's taken you as his own. And if you're in Christ, then all of his word, every promise, the apostle Paul says, is yes in Christ. This is your psalm in Jesus Christ. It does belong to you. So you, you are invited to relate in your circumstances. If you've been delivered by God in anything, praise him, be thankful. If you're going through awful stuff right now, pray and pray honestly. But you might say, and, and maybe this is in some of our minds, hey, the psalmist prayed to God for deliverance, and he got it. But what about me? Because isn't it true that God doesn't always deliver you from every circumstance? God has not answered every one of my prayers for deliverance from circumstances. Has he yours? And doesn't the psalmist even know this? Isn't it in here? Look at verse 15, such a precious verse. God delivered the psalmist from death. But what does the psalmist still know about himself? Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. We can relate with the psalmist on the individual, on the circumstantial events of our life. God saves us from them. But we can also relate on a gospel-centered, like big level to this. For everybody, right, we won't always be delivered from the little circumstances, because guess what, I mean, you're gonna die. I'm gonna die, we knew that. And there's gonna be some sicknesses God saves us from, and there's gonna be others that they take us down, right? And yet, we have something sweeter, and it's echoed here in this psalm. When one of God's people dies, what's God's attitude towards it? Did he forget you? Did he look away? Did he lose? You know, he's trying to juggle too many dishes and he dropped one. How, does, how is it to him in verse 15? It's precious. It means he holds it carefully. He doesn't waste it. He's present in it. He's overseeing it. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And saints just mean you're holy to him, you belong to him. That's yours in Christ. Precious is the sight of, is, is the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He's, he's right there. He meets you on the other side. And you even, you hear this in verse 16. The psalmist knows, I'm precious to God. And then he says, you've loosed my bonds. You've set me free. You see, when God is your God and you cry out to him, he delivers you from all circumstances, circumstances, but ultimately he delivers you even in and through death. You've loosed my bonds. How is death a loosing of the bonds? 
I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. What did Jesus do for me? He rose. He rose, and what am I gonna get because he rose? I'm gonna rise. So I don't have to be afraid anymore. It doesn't owe me anymore. And not only that, is, is, you know, earlier he said death was, came on me like cords, right? It was, it was holding me. God, you've loosed my bonds. So even when you go into death, death can't keep you. Death has to let go because you belong to the one who died and rose for you. And it's precious. We come at the psalm through the lens of Jesus. It's ours in him. In fact, we have more than the psalmist had because we know who the son of God is and what he's done. We know. We know. Yeah, he's delivered us from all sorts of things, car wrecks and sicknesses, but he's delivered us from more than that. He's delivered me from sin and death. Call on the name of the Lord and he heard my voice. I was simple, I was brought low and he saved me. Do you see that? Do you have that? Do you know that? Have you called upon this God? Have you trusted in Christ? And do you know his love for you? That he inclined his ear to you. He went to the cross for you. He rose from you. And he's, he rose for you and he's yours. Do you know that? Do you call on him? What kind of response do you want to give him? Today, here, I want to lift up the cup of salvation with you and keep calling on the name of the Lord. I want to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving with you and praise him for how great he is to me. Even death can't hold us. He hears us. He delivers us. I want to pay my vows to the Lord. I want to walk before him. I want to praise him. Do you love the Lord? Can you go out from here saying, verse 1, I love the Lord. I'm not ashamed of it. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He delivered me. Love the Lord, live on grace, keep calling on him. Guys, we're made to be thankful. Thankful in all circumstances. And the source for that is only one place. It's the giver. It's God himself, the God who saves the simple because that's who he is. And if you know him, even in hard circumstances, you have a, a source of thanksgiving that is never ending due to who he is and his goodness, especially in Christ. And that will motivate us, no matter what life brings, to live a life of grateful devotion, won't it? Will you pray with me? Our God, you've been so kind to us in Christ. You invite us to call on you, and when we do, you hear our voice. You preserve us, you protect us, you come for us. We know you've done that ultimately in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in him we are precious to you. We are loved by you. And God, now we just want to live a life of grateful devotion. So will you stir up gratitude in us to you for how kind and good you are to us, that we could walk before you all our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.